So how you doing? Well, my name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter, and I just want to just welcome everyone out, and just so good to see you guys again. And uh, we're going to continue on in our series of, uh, of a talk that we uh, kicked off a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, for the kickoff of our teaching season. Uh, and it was a great talk about a guy who hung out at a pool. And tonight's talk is called Denial Can Be an Ugly Thing. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the most in- important question that preceded God doing something miraculous in someone's life. And the question was, do you want to get well? And we talked about a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. For 38 years, this guy didn't want to get well. And in the fifth chapter of John, it said that Jesus saw him and he knew of his condition. And then he approached him and he asked him the the question, the million-dollar question, Sir, do you want to be made well? And we learned a couple weeks ago that if you don't want to get well, you're playing God. And friends, I'm here to tell you that you stink at playing God. And this man who did not want to get well, well, he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus that changed his life instantly. Because that's what, that's what can happen when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus tells the man to do three important things. Even though the guy gave him a bunch of excuses, Jesus tells him to do three important things. And the moment he did it, he was set free and he was well on his way. And Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. So Jesus simply gives the man three things to do. And if you've got your outline, you may want to start filling in the blanks. And the first one Jesus asked him to do, he asked him to do something impossible. Jesus asked him to do the impossible. Notice that the first thing Jesus says to do is what the man could not do, what he tried to do for 38 years. And I think it's important to see that. Perhaps he was thinking, if this man tells me to get up and I can't, it must mean that this man Jesus intends to do something to make that possible. As a result, his faith was transferred from his own efforts to Jesus, where the mindset was, he must do it because I can't. And the man must also have reasoned somewhat along these lines. If this man is going to help me, then I've got to decide to do what he tells me to do. This is a critical clue that a lot of people miss when they're looking for help from God. There's always something God tells us to do. This is a word of action. He tells the man to do something. He tells the man to get up. He tells him to stand up. Now, obviously, it was the will of Christ that this man should do what he told him to do. And the moment the man's will agreed with the will of Jesus, guess what? The power was there. I don't know whether or not he felt felt anything or not. I don't know what transpired there. All I know is that strength came into his bones, into his muscles, And now a man who could not stand for 38 years was walking and skipping joyously away. The second thing that Jesus asked him to do was to pick up his mat. Now, why do you think he said that? He said that so the man wouldn't make any provision for a relapse ever again. This is important. You know, later in the year, maybe sooner, there's a message that I'm going to preach. I'm just going to give you the scripture for it wasn't in your outline, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's in 2 Peter, and in this short little passage, it tells us how to relapse-proof our lives. It says this, By his divine power, not our divine power, his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort. Here's the action part on our end. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Watch this. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things, and here it is. You will never fall away. You will never relapse. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said that to the man so the man wouldn't say, I'm healed, but I should leave my mat here in case I need it tomorrow. And guess what? If Jesus didn't tell him to get up and walk away, he would have been right back in that same place the very next day. The third thing Jesus told him to do was he told the man to walk. And the reason why he told him to walk was because he expected continued success. He expected that man to, to move forward, free, set free from his infirmity. He didn't tell him to take a step or two. He told him to walk. Don't expect to be carried, he was saying. Get up on your feet and walk. I just, see, I just healed you. I just set you free. Now, why is this important? It's important because there are some people who really have no intention of getting well, but they want the attention of other people because most of the time they love the attention that they get when their life is on the mat, when their life is a mess. And the fear is if I get well, then who's going to notice me? Who's going to take care of me? Now, don't confuse the message that we all get better together and we need other people in our lives, but we need healthy people who will love us enough to challenge us, to hold us accountable, to tell us when we're going in the wrong direction, like Jesus does. Later in the, in the fifth chapter, Jesus approaches the man at the pool that he healed after 38 years. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are doing well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. See, you need friends to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. See, all you have accomplished is building more unhealthy and codependent relationships if your support team doesn't challenge you to keep coming back at encounter, doesn't challenge you to keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, the healer, the lover of your soul. You see, the answer's always been Jesus Christ, which is why this man was told to walk, because if Jesus gives you the power to rise, he's going to give you the power to walk and press on and keep forward. That's what he does. I love what it says in Hebrews. Chapter 12, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter 
of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, another word for consider is trust. Really trust. Trust him. I mean, really trust him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And friends, I'm here to tell you that denial will keep you running away from God instead of running the race with God. Denial has been defined as a false system of beliefs that are not based on reality and a self-protecting behavior that keeps us from honestly facing the truth, and walking in that truth. Denial will lead you to believe that the world and its value system is where real freedom comes from. I love what it says in 2 Peter 2.19. It says, They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves to destructive habits. For a man is a slave of anything that has conquered him. You know, friends, for me, the basic test of freedom is not what I'm free to do. It's what I'm free not to do. I'm free not to do a lot of things these days. I'm free not to take a drink. I'm free not to look at a porn site anymore. I'm free not to have sex with someone outside marriage. I'm free not to give in to the temptations that come my way. I am free because I have the mind of Christ. I have the Holy Spirit who lives in me that will give me the same strength, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to help me in my time of need if I'll only ask. I can choose to take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. I can choose to pray. I can exercise the God-given authority in me. I can rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. I can overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the word of my testimony, and living my life in preparation for eternity, knowing that when I breathe my last breath, I'm going to be standing face to face with the lover of my soul, Jesus Christ. So when the enemy comes at me and makes me fearful, I remind him that God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. When the enemy comes at me and reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future, and we all know what his future is. And on top of that, God has made an incredible promise to me and to all of you in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And denial will keep you from asking God to show you the way out. Denial will keep you stuck in your condition even when you are at the crossroads of your life, even when it's a life or death situation. Jeremiah 6.16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. X for the ancient path. X where the good way is. And walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. You know what that's called? That's called denial. That's called not wanting to get well. In reality, denial allows your pain to fester and grow like a cancer inside of you that grows into shame and guilt. Denial extends your hurt and it multiplies your problems. 
No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you need to know that this issue of denial and not wanting to get well is huge. And you need to know that no one is good at playing God. And we play God when we're trying to be the master of our own universe. We play God when we try and control our image, control other people, our problems, and our pain. We play God when we control everything for our own selfish reasons. Let's face it. We're all selfish by nature. I've counseled hundreds and hundreds of couples and the number one reason people always say that couples break up or relationships fall under, they always say it's money, it's sex. No, it's selfishness. People are selfish. I'm selfish. When I was a kid, if I didn't get my cereal in the grocery aisle, I did a 360 just with my head <laughs> and split up split pea soup. If you look at yourself honestly, you can easily identify the selfishness in you that is the cause for most of your problems. It's one of the ways that you and I play God. Another way is trying to control your image. You care so much about what other people think, a.k.a. codependency. You don't want them to know what you're really like, so you play games. You wear a mask. You pretend. You fake it. You want people to only see a certain side of you while you hide the other sides. You deny your weaknesses, your feelings, by saying things like, I'm not upset, I'm not angry, because you don't want anyone to see the real you. You're afraid of telling people who you really are, because if they don't like you, you're in trouble, because then you're all you've got, right? I had a friend of mine, that former teammate, basketball player, a guy by the name of Mike Bozinski. He was about, he was about 6'8". Uh, pure muscle, about 280. And uh, when he would date a girl, he would tell him right up front, he goes, you need to know something. He, he goes, if I burp, I'm going to burp. He goes, if I got gas, I'm going to blow gas. I just want you to know it right up front. He just said, if you, you want to leave me right now, leave me right now. Because I'm not trying to be somebody else. That's who I am. I'm always going to be like that. And the girls would still date him. I couldn't believe it. I said, I'm glad you got that out of the way. But it's one of the many faces of codependency that a lot of us play. Because you don't have the courage to talk like that to other people. I'm sorry. But playing God is the ultimate symptom of codependency. Because if you're not dependent on God, which is a healthy dependency, then you naturally look for worth, significance, acceptance in all your relationships with other people. And if you're not rooted, deeply rooted in Christ then you become codependent by nature and all your relationships suffer because of it. One of the ways that your relationships suffer is because when you play God, you try and control other people. Parents try and control kids. Kids try and control parents. Wives control husbands. Husbands try and control wives. People try and control other people. And along the way, we develop a lot of tools to manipulate each other. Everyone has their own style. Some use guilt and shame. Some use praise and affirmation. Others use anger, fear, sex, or lack of, or an old favorite, the silent treatment. All in efforts to gain control. I heard about an elderly couple, and the guy called down to his wife from upstairs. He said, honey, why don't you come up? 
come upstairs and make love to me. And the wife yelled back, says, I'll tell you right now, I'm not doing both. And so three people got that. But you rarely see this. Yeah, say it again. Sex education next week. <laughs> Philippians 2.1, you never see this played out, what the Apostle Paul was saying in Philippians 2.1. He said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's what I've discovered. It's hard being a servant and selfish at the same time. It really is. Another way that we play God is when, is when we try and control our problems. I can handle it. I got it. It's not really a problem. I'm okay. Those are the words of somebody trying to play God. When we're trying to control and manage our problems, we say things like, I don't really need any help. I don't need counseling. I don't, know, I don't need encounter. I can quit any time. I'll take care of it. Time will make it better. And probably the most evident way that we play God is when we, can, when we try and control our pain. Have you ever thought about how much time and effort you spend running from your pain? You avoid it. You escape it. Deny it. Reduce it. Postpone it. Some of us try to avoid pain by eating, not eating. Others by getting drunk, smoking, using drugs, abusing prescription meds. Some trying to escape through sports, hobbies, traveling, jumping in and out of relationships. Others withdraw into a hole and build a protective wall of depression around them. Others become angry, abusive, critical, sarcastic, and judgmental. We will try almost anything to control our pain. Some revert to cutting because you can't bear to have that pain inside you anymore. And cutting is the only way in your mind that releases the pain momentarily. But it always comes back, doesn't it? But the real pain comes in our quieter moments. That no matter how hard we try, we're not in control. And that realization, well, that can be scary. I don't know if you remember the old original Saturday Night Live show with Chevy Chase. And he'd start the news by saying, Hi, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. Imagine God showing up here. Hi, I'm God, and you're not. Just imagine that. See, agreeing with God that he's God and we're not leads us into the first healing choice, that encounter. It's admitting you have a need, realizing that you're not God. You're powerless to control your tendency to do the wrong thing and that your life is unmanageable. This first step is the hardest I've seen people in, in my programs for years that never get out of this first step. Their response is, who, me? You're always going to suffer with the consequences of your poor choices. So if the cause of most of our problems is our efforts to control everything, then what are the consequences of playing God? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
There's four. You may want to write these down. The first one is fear. When we try and control everything, we naturally become afraid. We're afraid somebody's going to find out who we are, that we're fakes and phonies, that we really don't have it all together, that we're not perfect. We don't let anybody get close to us because they'll find out that we're scared inside. And so we fake it. We live in fear, afraid someone's going to reject us, not love us, not like us when we know what we're really like. And we believe that, we'll only, that they're only going to like the, the image we work to present. Friends, this is an old problem. Adam and Eve, this is the same exact thing Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the garden. The first thing that they did was run and they were ashamed. And the first thing that you'll do when you start playing God is you'll run and you'll be ashamed. And the second thing, the second consequence of playing God is frustration. Listen, it's very frustrating trying to be the general manager of your own universe. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? That's why a lot of you are at Encounter. <laughs> because your parents took you to Chuck E. Cheese when you were a kid and a six-foot rat was walking around and you've had nightmares and you still haven't forgiven your parents for taking you to Chuck E. Cheese. Well, they have this game called Wacka Wacka. You ever seen this game? Yeah, you use this big mallet to beat down these little moles that keep popping up. But when you whack one, three more pop up. When you whack three, five more pop up. They never stop popping up. And the machine is like a parable of life. We whack down one relational conflict, guess what? Boom, another one pops up. We whack down one compulsion, guess what? Another one pops up. It's frustrating because we can't get them all knocked down at the same time. We think we can. We walk around like we can pretending like we're God, I'm powerful, I can handle it. But if we're really in control, why don't we just unplug the machine? Hello. This leads us to the third consequence of playing God, fatigue. It will wear you out. Playing God will just make you tired. Pretending like you've got it all together is hard work. I love telling people, I'm just so screwed up. I love being screwed up. I just love being a screw up. But God loves me, and I'm following him by his grace each and every day. And so it's so important. Um, I mean, it'll, it'll, just, it'll just wear you out. See, playing God just makes you tired. Most of us try and run from the pain by, treat, by keeping really, really busy. We think or say to ourselves, I don't like the way I feel when I slow down, right? I don't like the sounds that go through my mind when I lay my head on my pillow. If I can just keep busy, maybe I can block out those feelings, drown out the sounds. We run from pain by constantly being on the go. We work ourselves to death, or we get involved in some hobby or a sport until it becomes a compulsion. Even over-involvement in church can be an attempt to hide our pain. We say, look at me, all the ways I'm serving. My point is simple. God does want you to serve him out of love and purpose. He doesn't want you to use serving him or the church to escape from your pain. You should not be coming to church to hide, but to heal. If you're in a constant state of fatigue, always worn out, you should ask yourself, what pain am I running from? What problem am I 
afraid to face? What motivates and drives me to do what I do so that I'm always in a constant state of fatigue? And finally, the last consequence of playing God is failure. It's one job where you're guaranteed failure. And God's going to let you do it. God's going to let you try and do his job until you say, I just can't do it. And friends, I'm here to tell you that you're not big enough, strong enough, or even smart enough to do God's job. We need to be open and honest about our weaknesses, faults, and failures. I'm here to tell you that grace is the power to change. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Grace is the power God gives me to make the changes in my life that I want to make and that he wants to make. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. And for you to recover from your habits, your sin patterns, your brokenness in your life, you're going to need God's grace. So how do you get it? Well, he only gives it to the humble. All you need is humility and an open mind to work this encounter program. So let me ask you, what needs changing in your life? What hurt, what brokenness, sin patterns have you been trying to ignore? For many of you, this step is the hardest step. I'm glad it's number one. Because when you get over this hurdle, which is simply admit I have a problem, I have a need, I have a hurt, I've been severely hurt and damaged and bruised by others and I've hurt others. It says I'm not God, I don't have it all together as much as I think I've got it all together, as much as I like everyone else to think. And if you do tell that to somebody, they're not going to be surprised because they know it, God knows it, and you know it. You just need to admit it. It means being honest and facing a problem that you've wanted to ignore for a long, long time. But here's the biggest problem you have to face. This is why denial can be an ugly thing. When you don't want to get well, you're playing God, and you stink at playing God. And not only do you stink at it, but when you're playing God, you're trusting in you, and you are not trusting God. And here comes that word trust again. And I just want to give you guys a memory verse. We're going to start giving you a memory verse. And if you don't have a Bible, just pick one up in front of you. Take it home with you. Sanctuary loves giving out Bibles. And it's in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And I love this passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Let's read it all out loud together. Get it back to trust in the Lord. Go back one. Let's read it out loud together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I want you to take about five minutes every day this week and memorize that scripture if you don't have it memorized. That was my first mentor's signature scripture that he would instill into me, instill into me 20 years ago and still to this day. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And it starts out with trusting in the Lord. It's one thing to trust, but to really trust, to really, really cling, to really, really believe. There's a scene in the Disney movie Aladdin. Any Disney fans? You like Disney? Uh-huh. We love Disney. 
in which Jasmine is out on the balcony of her palace and Aladdin is on his magic carpet trying to get her to come with him and go and explore a whole new world. Disney, where all your dreams come true. The key line in the scene is when Aladdin goes to Jasmine, do you trust me on the magic carpet? Well, after a while, Jasmine agrees to trust Aladdin and is taken on the ride of her life. You know, that same type of trust is required from us when we decide to follow God. You see, with God, belief alone is not enough. We have to trust him with our lives. And there's a big difference between believing God and believing in God. And that's where trust comes in. We need to have faith in him. And trust is the next step from faith. And trusting God is believing in God. And when you don't lean on your own understanding, but trust God with all your heart by seeking and doing his will, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take you on the ride of your life. That's what he does. And it should be pointed out that no revealed truth becomes automatically effective. The truth just doesn't set you free. The effect any truth has upon us depends on our attitude towards it. And here's what your attitude should be. First, it must be accepted in active faith and received into our minds as completely trustworthy and beyond dispute. That's how you have to look at this book. It must become a kind of sort of dye to give color to all of our thinking, our praying, and our worship. The more deeper our friendship and trust with God becomes, the more simpler your life is going to be. The more we worship God like this, as living sacrifices, picking up our cross, dying to ourselves, not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, the more we're going to love the, at discovering what, good, what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will is for our lives. It becomes a joy to follow God like that. Another thing about trust and true friends, true friends trust each other and enjoy being in each other's presence. Jesus said this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me, John 14, 1. Trust in God, trust also in me. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's got a lot of rooms. It's an awesome place. Here's a thought for you. True friendship is based on mutual trust. If we can trust Christ for salvation, if we can trust Christ for salvation, why can't we trust God in all the areas of our lives? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but here's, here's what it comes down to as far as trust. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, we'll be saved. If we turn from our lives, turn from our brokenness, turn from our sins, trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the free gift of eternal life, we're going to have all of our sins forgiven. We're going to have our name written in a book, never to be erased, that gives us an eternal ticket where we're going to live with God forever and ever, for all of eternity, forever. And so when we die, to be absent from our bodies means to be present 
with God. And we know that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, because he loves us, not because we're supposed to, because the Bible says in Romans that while we were still sinners, while we were still playing God, while we had our backs turned on him, he demonstrates his love for us in this way. He died for us sinners so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be free, so that we can live forever. And so when we put our faith and trust because and respond to that love, we have all those eternal benefits, forgiven, free. And just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we're going to be raised from the dead as well too. Somehow, he's going to meet us. I don't know how it's going to happen, but he's going to take us from this body, take our spirits, and we're going to be with God forever and ever. Now, if God is able to do that, why can't you trust him for your hurts, your habits, your sin patterns, your brokenness? Well, just like the disciple Billy Joel once said, I guess it's always been a matter of trust. Check this out. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help you. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm-hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. All right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? <laughs> yes, Jesus. I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. (laughs) You can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall back. Okay. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. (laughs) Good. Ah! Oh, Jesus, you're really coming! I didn't think you were going to catch me, but you did! Oh, that was was great! That was great! You're ready for level two! Level two, here I come, baby! Woo! Whoa! Okay, hold it. (laughs) Oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. Okay. (laughs) This one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, Stand here. Uh Uh-huh. But face me. Forward fall. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, Wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes, the Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. (laughs) That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. (laughs) Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. <laughs>